um, started Proverbs three weeks ago. Um, we had two kind of intro sermons where we looked at wisdom um, and why we would enter into this very practical book. And really where we're going to spend the next several weeks um, is we're going to just look at topics pulled from Proverbs. And so last week we began with emotions and how do we look at emotions with wisdom. Um, And we have defined wisdom, and I want us to continue to to kind of lay this out, is that wisdom is going to be defined as being skilled at living. That it's not merely knowing things, it's not merely having book knowledge or even common sense, but it is the ability to be skilled at doing life. And so as we think of craftsmen, you you maybe are a craftsman, you know someone who's good with, with metal or with wood or with sewing, And you're impressed with the skill that that's kind of the same language that the Old Testament uses for wisdom. That those who are good at doing specific things, their craftsmen, have wisdom. And we want to be skilled at living. Because here's the thing. This morning, if I told you that I love music and that I want to play music for you, those can be true things. But you are not impressed when I turn on the radio. Right? You're not going, whoo! And you are the best radio turner-honor I've ever seen. Right? Like, it's not a skill there. It's like, okay, that was not impressive. And so we, we can walk through life knowing the right things, but if we're not able to implement them into life, then we are not walking in wisdom. We are not skilled at living. And so we, we started with emotions last week because emotions really are going to affect everything we look at. So whether we're talking about marriage or money or parenting or friendship or specific emotions like anger, that we need to be able to have This balance of fighting the way we feel with truth. And to be able to go into understanding the things that are drawing us and that sometimes our emotions cripple us, right? With things that are lies, that are not true at all. And so um, the last three weeks have really kind of been an introduction, laying some groundwork. And so if you feel a little lost this morning, I would encourage you to listen to those. So this morning, the topic we're going to look at is friendship out of Proverbs. And you might ask, okay, why, why something like this? Here's why. One, we want our children to be able to pick good friends, right? Being able to discern who are and aren't good friends. Quite frankly, as adults, we need to be able to pick good friends. We, um, there was a, an article that came out in the Atlantic this week They quoted a statistic that said those 45 years of age and older, more than one in three would say they they suffer from chronic loneliness. That's just kind of nationwide. That's not a. That's just that people are lonely. Right? That one in three are lonely. We know for our teenagers, for our students, for those in college, they are more connected now than they've ever been able to be in, in human history through social media and things of this nature. And yet, they don't feel safe, they don't feel known, they don't feel loved and secure in those relationships. They're constantly having to be on guard, and they're feeling at risk in those. And so even though they are very well connected, it doesn't mean that they have good friendships. And that we live in a community that is quite frankly very friendly, but that doesn't mean that you have friends. Just because people will say hello to you at United or or recognize you at the plaza doesn't mean that you're walking in deep relationship and friendship. And so, um, that's kind of the issue. 
that we can feel like we have friends, we can feel like things are good because people are friendly and it really not be known or safe or secure. And yet we're built for it. We are meant for depth of relationship and for friendship. If you think back to creation, we first and foremost, even before creation, we have the Trinity that God is in relationship, right? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit saying, let us make man in our image that God is in relationship, right, with himself. There is communion and friendship there in the Godhead. And then that we are created and we are placed in the garden. And it says, right, that man was walking in the midst that even after Adam and Eve had sinned, that God is, was looking for them. And, and he says, like, why were you hiding? Right, that there was, they were built to know God, to be known by God and to know him. We see that, that, that God looks at Adam before he has created Eve and says it's not good for man to be alone. And so God creates the first woman and gives her to the first man. Right? He provides relationship. That we're meant for this. In James 2.23, it tells us that Abraham, right, in his faith, he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness and that he was called a friend of God. In Exodus 33, 11, Moses is said as the tabernacle, as God would descend upon the tabernacle, that he would meet with Moses face to face as one friend would with another. Right? That this was unique and beautiful. Right? That we would be reminded that one of Jesus' names is Emmanuel. It is God with us. It's not just someone to know that is far off in distance, but it's a God who condescended. He came and walked on earth to be Emmanuel, God with us. And then if we just look at the four dozen or so one another statements in scripture, that we are to walk with one another, to pray for one another, to bear with one another, to forgive one another, to love one another, to show hospitality to one another, that we are created for relationship and friendship. Because you cannot do one another's alone, right? You cannot do that by yourself. And so we are absolutely built for relationship and for friendship. Um, and, and the fact is, is you can be married, right, and lack intimacy. You can be around people and lack close relationship and fellowship. So I want us to begin. This is Proverbs 18, 24. Um, Amanda's got verses back there. She's going to do her best to keep up. If you need a list afterwards, let me know. Um, because of the way Proverbs are set up, we don't land in just one proverb. We'll, we'll be jumping around as we look at these um, bits of truth, primarily from Solomon. This is verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Just this idea that we can have friends right, that are closer then family, I want that to just kind of begin to lay a foundation for us this morning. And then if we just turn back a chapter to, to chapter 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Right? Just kind of this idea that a friend is one who is loving in all seasons, in all situations. Right? And that there are relationships beyond family that can stick close for a lifetime. Right? That that's kind of our, our start for what friendship is going to look like. And so if we know that that's what we're created for, verses 17, or verse 17 of chapter 17 and 24 of 18, if we've, we've seen this idea that we were meant for relationship and friendship and depth of relationship, 
then why don't we have it? Or why is it so difficult? And we know that it's because of the fall, right? That when we rebelled against God, when we sinned against Him, that it fractured our relationship with God and it caused a separation. And it's why God does not walk in the garden in the midst with us in the same way that we saw with Adam and Eve. And yet that's what we're meant for. And it's what we are going to be returned to in heaven, right? That God will be ours and we will be His. It's what we're meant for. But right now there is a separation, which is why we need Jesus. But it also broke our relationship with one another, right? And it's why marriage is difficult. It's why friendships can be difficult. It's why depth of relationship can be hard because we have we become self-centered. We've become sinners and rebels and it has fractured our relationship. And so let's look at just a few of these. In relationships, one of the common things that we'll see that create tension is jealousy, right? Maybe you think about this in, in regards to junior high or high school relationships specifically, right? Where, hey, you're hanging out with my best friend too much and now I'm, I'm angry at you or I'm angry at my best friend because you're supposed to be my best friend, right? And we're like, oh, you know, silly seventh graders. And yet as adults, same thing, right? That we can look and go, wait a second, you're supposed to be my go-to friend. And why are you hanging out with them too much? We, I, think, I think, honestly, we can see this even in our gospel communities, right? As, as we look to, to, to become family with one another, and then occasionally what we do is we multiply a family out of a family, and we send a few folks to start another gospel community, wanting there to be a chance for more family and more relationship. And now someone you were close with and love and spent a lot of regular time together is now meeting on another night in another home in another place, right? And even though you know I should be excited and celebrate it, there's some mourning that's taken place and there's some struggle as you see them interacting with someone else in the way that you once did, Right, And so we can see it as good, and yet there can be heartache and jealousy. We know that with our emotional issues, that sometimes we have this enemy, this voice in our head that just says, you're not worthy to be a friend. You're not good enough. And we begin to look for things that would say that that is true, whether anyone is saying it or not. Right, There's just this thought that stirs in our heart and in our head that we're not sufficient, we're not Good enough. Look at if you look in verse four of chapter nineteen, we we can see that relationships and friendships can be fickle. Verse four: Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friends. Look at verse six of the same chapter: Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. Right. So it kind of just creates these scenes where it says, "Look, friends can be fickle." And when they see that you have something that they want, then I'll be super friendly. And then as soon as you lose it, I'm gone. Right? You, you have most likely experienced this. You have been hurt by those where you're not sure what their motives were. What were they looking to gain from you? Are you here because of me? Are you here because there's something you think you have access to through me? Whether that is money, whether that is time, whether that's a skill that you have that they need. Right, that relationships can become fickle and so we can be hurt and burned by them. The fact is, is that because of the fall, there's a lot of misunderstandings, right? There's a struggle to communicate well. And so it'd be easy to hear something that was not intentionally meant and assume it was, right? There's a just 
plenty of opportunity for misunderstanding. If you look in chapter 16, in verse 28, as we continue to just look at some of the, the struggles with friendship and relationship. Verse 28, a dishonest man will spread strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Turn over a chapter to 17, verse 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. This idea of gossip, right? That, that gossip and, and repeating an offense, we can begin to separate those who were once close by just stirring up issue and turmoil and untruth or truth that's not done in a loving way, right? That, that gossip can separate relationships and friendships. Because we are sinners, you will occasionally sin against a friend. Sometimes intentionally, because you're jealous, you're hurt, you're upset. But sometimes you're going to do it unintentionally. You're not even going to know that you've done it. right? And now, because of our, our proclivity to be jealous or envious, or to think we're not enough or sufficient, or for the, the, the lies that are being whispered by an enemy, then communication doesn't happen. We don't share that we're hurt, right? and a fracture begins to occur. Because we're not being forthright with one another. Chapter 12, verse 26, gives us another thing that can fracture relationships. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, right? This is the positive. The negative is this. But the way of the wicked leads them astray. And so sometimes there's a close friendship that's affected as others come in who are wicked and they just begin to lead them astray into death and into destruction. And it creates turmoil in former friends. Church, if we're honest, one of the the things that will destroy a relationship the quickest is your weight and expectation on one another. That you will have this expectation, I need you to be my everything. I need you to be my functional savior. I need you to be the one perfect friend, right? Who always knows what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling, what I need, what I don't need, whether I communicate it or not. Like you put this expectation on them that only one can bear and that's God. And when they fail to meet those expectations of which they can't, right? Then we assume, well, you're not my best friend or maybe you weren't a good friend. Maybe you're not my friend at all. And the weight of your expectation crushes them. Sometimes it's as simple as our feelings and our emotions. I want you to think about this for a moment. Jesus loves, period. And some saw that love, they responded to that love, they received that love, and it transformed them. And they heard their good shepherd and they followed him. And others, as he was loving them, as he was calling them on their sin, saying, that won't satisfy you, what you need is me. As he's loving them, what they felt was harm and hurt and offense. And they crucified him over his love. That for some of you this morning, you feel hurt and harm and offense. It's someone else who never meant it, who meant love for you. And yet you assume that your feelings trump trump. And triumph over truth. And you've let a wall build up. To separate those who are once close friends. Proverbs 22. Verse 24 and 25. We could literally spend a couple of sermons just talking about the fall and brokenness and issues of sin. 
in relationships. But Psalm 22, 24 and 20, verses 24 and 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Right? Sometimes we just surround ourselves with folks who are tr- like laying a trap for us because of their inability to control their own emotions or due to their own anger. So church, ultimately, here's what it is. Friendship was built for us. We are created for us. It is a gift. But like any good gift, it can be misused. And it can create struggle and difficulty. We can leave people out intentionally or not. We can become so inwardly focused with our friends that we forget the mission that we've been called to. That we don't look out to anyone else. And that we can assume that the way we feel is what's true. As the enemy weaves a web of lies and deceit and deception. To use your emotions against you and against those that you would have once called close friends. Now here's the deal. As we've walked through just a few things of what Proverbs would say are the difficulties of relationships. Names and faces are rolling through your head. Right? Maybe some that have come out and and they're still friends, but you can remember a a season where they weren't. And others, you're thinking of people who once were. You're thinking about the things that they've done or the things that you've done. And we just have to understand that relationships are difficult. And they're difficult because we're all sinners. And we, we sin and we are sinned against. And so where's the good news? Where's the hope here? Is that Jesus is a friend, right? This is no small thing because we've seen the high, like the the highs of friendship, right? When someone is good and you feel safe and secure, when your, your soul feels buoyed by them in difficulty or when they're there to celebrate good times with you, we have seen the height of friendship. And we've also seen the lows when you are betrayed or left or lost or forgotten. And Jesus steps in and says, listen, I will be available You are safe and welcome, and I will never forsake. Right? That Jesus isn't just a rescuer. He is a friend. In Luke 7.34, he's accused by those who are angry with him of being a friend of sinners. Right? Because he's eating with those who are uh, prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. That he's eating with them. That he's called a friend of sinners, which is good news for us this morning. Because you're a sinner. And Jesus does not demand perfection of you before you can sit down at the table with him. That he has called us and invited us in and says, I am the friend of sinners. But here's where we have to quickly get to. He also does not then condone our sin. Or say, hey, that's, that's yours. Good with it. But he calls us on it and he transforms us. Right? He takes it and he forgives it. That Jesus is an, one who eats and interacts with sinners. And that he includes people. Right? Like that he's pursuing not just the rich, not just the famous, not just the powerful. But he says, I came for those who are sick, who needed a physician. So we see him including those who were far off, who were not included in cultural scenes. Were not, they were the lower class. That he's bringing them in and including them. Which means this. Right? Sometimes we go, hey, Jesus, man, he loves me. I get it. But Jesus, like, he likes you, right? He wants you around. 
He's calling you a friend and he's saying, come be a part. Because that's the thing that echoes in our head often. It's right as we think about maybe our mom or our dad or a sibling, they have to love me and their family. And why we sometimes go to friends is because they don't have to. Right? And so when you say God loves me, yeah, well, he had to. But when he calls us a friend, when he invites us to the table, we begin to see he wants us around. If you turn over to Proverbs 27, verse 6, we see this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Here's this idea. He says that our enemies, those that we might even call a friend for a while, man, they're going to flatter us. They're going to pour out praise upon us. And then they're going to stab us in the back. But faithful is the friend who will address our sin, our need, our issues to our face. It doesn't say it's painful. Or it doesn't say it's easy. It doesn't say it's comfortable. It may very likely be painful. Think about Peter for a moment. Peter desperately wanted Jesus not to die, to not go to the cross. And so he says, you know, we're not going to let it happen. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. Right? That was not probably pleasant for Peter to hear as one who would call himself a friend of Jesus. But what Jesus was saying was, there's a truth that you're missing, that you don't understand that where I'm going is for your good and for your benefit. And if I don't go there, you're lost without hope. And so what I, I get... The, what you're saying, Peter, but you're wrong. And I'm not going to go whisper to the other disciples about how big of an idiot Peter is. Peter, I'm going to tell you, right? This is true. And after Peter denies Jesus three times, right? That Jesus goes and restores him, right? That he says the right and the true thing. And so church, do you have people in your life who will say the hard thing to you? Not that you heard that they said the hard thing about you, but that they'll come and say, this may be a wound to you, but I want you to know it's coming from me and it's coming out of love because Jesus says the hard thing. He speaks truth and he does not condone our sin. We need people who love us enough to say you are wrong in this. Your attitude is off. You are, you are finding satisfaction in things you should not find satisfaction in. You're pursuing things you should not pursue. And Jesus is better than that. And I want you to have him because I love you. And if we love our friends, then we will not want them to be satisfied with lesser things. But they will hold out the greater and the better thing. Jesus comforts us. He forgives us. Right? It's why we feel safe with him and secure with him. Why we feel like we can confess our sin to him. is because he's forgiving and he's comforting. Church, Jesus knows you. The ins and the outs of your heart. The, the horrific things you've thought this week. The things that you would want no one else to know. The things that you kind of silently, I'm, I'm not going to pray at God, but that's really what I want the things that you've actually done, the things you've actually said, there's nothing hidden before him. He knows it all. And yet he still says, come. Come dine with me. Come be mine. We are known, and because we're known, we're safe. Far too often we do not feel known or safe with people. And so we put on a front and we play a game. 
It's why the church has to be a safe place. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. He intercedes on your behalf with the Father. Turn to Proverbs 20, verse 6. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Right, This idea that many will tell you how good a friend they are and how they won't leave you and they won't forsake you. Right, and, and they fail us consistently. But a faithful man who can find. In church, we get to say with this proverb, we found him. It's Jesus. He has revealed himself to us. He will not forsake us. He will not leave us. He will keep his promises. He is never left and never forsaken. We're going to leave the Proverbs for just a moment. In Matthew 11, we're reminded that he refreshes us. It's what a good friend does, right? He, he renews and he refreshes because we're known and we're safe. And he says this in verse chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Then he says, listen, I know you, and I know you're weary, and I know you're tired. But if you'll come, not when you've got everything figured out, but when you'll come as you are, you will find rest and relief and comfort as you are known and as you are safe. And then if we turn to John 15 for just a moment. Beginning in verse 13. He is a good friend. Jesus is a good friend because he rescues. Listen to this. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from the Father, I have made known to you. So he says this, he's looking at the disciples, he's talking to the church, he says, you are my friends. If you were my slaves, if you were my servants, I wouldn't bother to tell you what, what's going on, I would just tell you what to do. And I would say, go do it, because you're mine, and I'm telling you to do it. But he says, no, no, you're my friends, because I'm letting you in on the secret. I'm letting you in on what God has called us to, and who he is, and what he's doing in the world. And I'm inviting you into the plan to see others come into relationship with God. He's saying, you are my friends, and I've given you all the knowledge and all the information. And he has rescued us by living the life we could not live. Dying the death that we richly deserved. And then beating these things, beating sin and Satan, the devil, and living today. That we have a friend in Jesus who does not leave nor forsake. Proverbs eighteen twenty four. The one we started with. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is that friend. He is that friend. And we are to emulate it. But he does not leave us nor forsake us. So, we have a broken relationships. Jesus is the friend that we need. And because of that, we then are called to reflect his image and to live on mission, beginning to be a friend like that. So that when someone sees you as a good friend, it's not because you're awesome. But it's because you have been loved and befriended like that. And that you're pointing to Jesus who has done that. When we do that well, we are reflecting his image. 
He is our friend. We are included. And he has brought us into the church. And what he said is, here's friends. Here's a larger group of friends. It's why in Ephesians 2, he says that he has torn down every dividing wall. That the only thing that you and I need in common is Jesus. It's not our hobbies. Right? It's not the way we think or the way we read or the way we right, the way we spend our money or the way we vote. It's Jesus. And he has called us into a family of friends because he has initiated it. And then he sends us out on mission to draw others into this family and to make friends with God. To reflect his character, to be his hands and feet. And so first and foremost, we need to know there are two true things here. One is this. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three: bad company corrupts good morals. Right? Something we would tell our children. You have the wrong friends that are going to affect you. We know this is true. And yet Jesus was a friend and a pursuer of sinners and his enemies to bring us into family. That both of these are true, and it's why we need wisdom. Because listen, if you struggle, right, with alcohol, and you go in and hanging out at the bar, not a wise thing. Not a wise thing. But it doesn't mean that someone who that's not their issue shouldn't pursue folks who struggle with alcohol, right? We need wisdom in this. That are we, are we looking to find our own sin confirmed and, and, and okay with, with sinners? Or are we wanting to be holy transformed in pursuing of folks right that if that if we have a sin struggle or issue within us we don't surround ourselves with the same sin or issue but we trust that god will provide others for them but those things there are some things that are sins in the world that you just they don't they don't get you you don't want them and god is saying you can pursue folks making them friends of god church we want to be anchored in the body of Christ. But with eyes open to see those who need pursuit. That we are in one hand. With one foot in the church. And with the other that we are running hard after folks. Right before they walk off. The precipice into death. And we need wisdom for that. And so I've been in churches. Where I would be fired. If my truck was seen in certain places. And what we've attempted to do. Is create a culture here. That we don't assume that you're running to sin, but we assume you're running after sinners. And we're going to give the benefit of the doubt, and we're going to ask for wisdom, and we're not going to do it alone. Where we are more likely to stumble, we're going to do it together. So, we want to speak, we want to reflect Jesus by speaking truth and honesty. We, we read this in, in 27.6, but if we also go to 27, look at verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. The sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Right? And faithful are the wounds of a friend. That we would be people who would see and speak truth. Not our preference, but the word of God. And this is to be compared with verse 5 of chapter 29. A man who flatters his, his neighbor, his friend, spreads a net for his feet. Are we willing to say only what people want to hear? Knowing that we are tripping them up and leading them into sin. Rather than loving them even if it's hard to hear. That we would be willing to say these hard and true things. 
When's the last time someone was willing to do that and you felt loved in it, not just beaten up? We want to listen. We want to be aware of what's going on in someone. Verse 20 of chapter 25 of Proverbs says this, Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Saying you have to be aware of people. You have to know what's going on. You have to be aware of their situation and their setting. That if you come in and you're jolly as they're mourning, right, it's grating, it's hurtful. So are we listening and aware of people, their needs and their struggles so that we can bring godly truth and counsel to bear? Right? And so it's, it's saying let's watch our words. Let's watch our emotions as we're around those because we don't know what their week has looked like, what their sin is, what their struggle is, unless we're walking with one another. Right? And so this is where we can unintentionally hurt, right? That may be simply a misunderstanding. So what do we do? We ask questions. We listen. We, we want to hear. The sweetness of a friend comes from earnest counsel that we are willing to care about what's going on in your life. Right? I hope you have people like this, right? Who are willing to ask you and not just talk. Who are willing to hear and to listen and to poke and to prod and to point you to Jesus, the one who actually satisfies. We want to create a culture here where people are safe to not be okay. Where they're safe to admit sin and need and transparency and to be loved. Proverbs 13.20 says this, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Are we a culture of wise folks who are bringing about those who are less wise to greater levels of wisdom? That we don't ever arrive in this, but that we are creating a culture where we are trusting the word of God. Where we are iron sharpening iron, as Proverbs 27.17 says. Right? Knowing that sometimes that's with friction, but that we are being sharpened in a healthy and good way. Church, part of what this looks like, quite frankly, is just to open our eyes, to ask God to give us wisdom to see people. Um, I don't like to share stories very often from, from my own life in this regard, but this year I've, I've invited two people to lunch who I simply met in like random occasions out in the, wor- in the world. I didn't know them. Um, I, have, I have no personal relationship with them, but they interacted with me um, in a business type setting. Didn't know I was a pastor, didn't know anything about me other than we'd had a conversation as we were doing business. And I invited them to lunch in the days to come. Both of them said yes. And as we had lunch, I just asked the question, Can, you don't know me, you didn't even know my last name. Why did you say yes? And both of these men, their response was this. No one's ever invited me to lunch before. And, and obviously their families invited them to lunch, right? That's not what they're saying. They, they're not saying I've never had lunch with anyone before. But what they're saying is no one's ever sought me out. No one's ever pursued me. No one's ever been intentional with me. And so they're like, I f- I'm driving my own car there. I'm safe. I can run, right? Like they didn't feel like in danger. 
that if I was a weirdo, they could leave. But that they were hungry for something. They're hungry for people not just being friendly, but to be a friend. And listen, if all we have to offer in that moment is ourselves, then we fail them. But if we turn and say we have a friend in Jesus who won't leave you, who won't misunderstand you, who won't forsake you, who knows you and loves you and is pursuing you and is transforming you, who has forgiven you and who will rescue you, right? That is what we have to offer. And so what do we need to do to be good friends? We need to commune. We need to be together. When we were living in Yemen and speaking very, very little Arabic, I was sitting on a a mountaintop one time, overlooking the city, drinking tea with this Yemeni man. And he has shared every word of English he knows, which wasn't much. I've said every word of Arabic I know, which wasn't much. And now we're just sitting there. And listen, if I just stop talking and look at you, you're not going to be able to make it for very long without it being really awkward and uncomfortable. Right? We're, we're used to function, right? efficiency. That's what we want in relationships. And as soon as that conversation's over, then we move on to the next. And so after like 10 minutes of silence, like my American sensibilities are feeling really uncomfortable. And so I go to get up. And he's like, where are you going? I said, conversation's over, I'm leaving. And he goes, no, 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 sit down, sit down, sit down. So I'm thinking, okay, he's thought of something else he can say. I sit down. And he just takes a swig of tea and smiles at me. No more, no more conversation. So we sit for another 10 or 15 minutes. So now we're pushing 20 to 30 minutes of silence. And like my skin is literally crawling, right? Like I'm just like, this is so uncomfortable. And so I go to get up again. And he's like, no, sit down, sit down, my friend. I'm thinking, man, okay. So I sit down. Okay, we're now pushing 45 minutes, and I'm like, it doesn't matter what he says. He can pull out a gun. I am leaving, right? And so I go to get up, and he's like, I don't understand why you are so desperate to leave. And I said, well, I don't have anything to say. And he goes, why do we have to say anything? We can just be together. And what I began to learn in that moment was what he was saying was, I value your presence. I value your time. I know we don't have anything to say, but I'm just glad to be with you. As Americans, we are really bad at this. And we are busy, and we look for efficiency, and we don't spend a lot of time just being together, right? Unless something is being done and being accomplished. So, church, the challenge for us is this, is can we see value in relationships and friendships beyond efficiency and productivity? Can we see value in sitting and communing with the God of the universe, whether you walk away with a big wow moment in your devotional time or not? To sit in the word and to sit in prayer and to say, Jesus is alive. He is a relationship. He is a friend that I can know and pursue, who pursues and knows me. That we would see and care and notice people who are different than us. One of my favorite things about Redeemer is this is that my children have friends who are a variety of ages. And there are many men in this room who are not four-year-old boys, but who Jude would call a friend. And, and, they, and they would call him their little buddy, like their friends. 
And why? Why would a 50-year-old or a 40-year-old or an 80-year-old man care about a 4-year-old boy? And why would Jude call them friend and they call him friend? It's because they see him and they notice him and they care about what's going on in his life. And they ask him some questions and he goes, hey, they, they want to hear what I have to say. They want to know me. And so they sit there and smile and nod as he talks about heavy machinery, right? Or talks about drumming or whatever it is. Because he feels safe and loved and known. And there's no commonality there. Other than someone who does not need Jude says, I'm going to put myself in your life. Church, Jesus doesn't need us. And yet he has put himself in our life as a good and right and holy God. As a friend who is transforming and changing us. Who pursued us when we were far, when we were enemies, and then has called us to the same. To not just look for people who give you something. To not just look for people who are like you, but to have eyes to see those who are alone and suffering and in need. And to say, you can be the hands and feet of Jesus in their life. For there to be unlikely friendships. Church, we we could spend weeks on this topic. But because we have a friend in Jesus, we are secure. And because we're secure, then we can reach out even to people who are difficult. Proverbs 19.11. Good sense makes one slow to anger. Listen to this, church. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. People are going to offend you. Sometimes intentionally, often not. And it is to your glory to be, over, to be able to overlook an offense for the sake of relationships with difficult people. I had a, a teammate in Yemen who was obnoxious. Like, and I don't say that lightly. Like, I'm, I'm typically pretty easy to get along with. And this dude drove me nuts. And I, I thought, man, we, this is not going to be good. We have years to work together. And I remember very specifically saying, God, I don't have any love for him. I don't, I don't like him. I don't enjoy being around him. I don't want him around me. And yet you have placed us on the same team together. And I need you to do something. I don't, I don't know what to do. And the Lord transformed, not him. His behavior didn't change. He changed my heart. That I, would, I, I eventually began to tolerate and then like and then ultimately enjoy and appreciate the, the difficulty and the eccentric behavior of this gentleman where I would today be glad to call him a friend. And it's not because I'm good, right, or I was long-suffering, but the wisdom of God that is found in Jesus stirred something in me for the glory of God. And that we would know that, that we are the obnoxious ones of God, right? He pursued us, not because we have something to offer, but he ran hard after us and transforms us into being in Christ's image for his glory. And he loves you and he likes you this morning. And so this is the last thought and we'll be done. What needs to happen in your life this week for you to pursue Jesus as a friend? To not check a box, to not do the religious thing, but to say, Jesus, you are alive and you are able to be known and you want me so how do, we pers- how do we pursue relationship with Jesus' as friend this week? How do we commune with him? And second is this. Would we ask him to give us eyes to see people?
And as he opens our eyes to see folks who are in need of a friend, who we need as a friend, that we would then be willing to put ourselves out there to be offended, to be around difficult people, to be sinned against, because we're secure and we're safe in Jesus. And I pray and I hope you feel secure and safe here at Redeemer to go out and pursue folks. And let's do it together. To be godly, God-honoring friends. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, what a massive topic. And Lord, we come because we need wisdom. And you are the source of wisdom. You are the embodiment of wisdom. We desperately need you. And so, Father, I would just ask that in these moments that you would maybe give us a name or a face of someone that we need to make things right with. That we would communicate and pursue that. God, maybe we are the one that was offended or maybe we were the offender. God, that you would give us eyes to see people at work or in our family or in our neighborhood or in our church or in our lives in some way that we, you're calling us to, to pursue, to love. To, to intercede for, to engage in relationship. Father, would you give us a bigger view of friends than those who have the same hobbies as us? God, that we would find our lives made up of unlikely friendships, of those older, of those different, of those unique to us, because you are the one thing we have in common and you are the sole thing we need in common. Father, we need your wisdom to navigate life. God, would we not believe that we can be an island unto ourselves, but that we would find friendship in you and then we would seek to be that type of friend in the world for your glory and for your name. Would you speak? Would you convict? Would you guide? Would you make us wise? In Jesus' name, amen.